ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Aussie Talks. Today is episode 18 and the first in the year 2023, and I'm really excited to get into this episode here today. It's been a while between episodes. Six weeks ago, I had a great chat to Harry Coffey, a horse jockey, with an absolutely incredible story. And if you haven't gone and listened to that podcast, please go and check it out. It's on my YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and anywhere you can find a podcast. It was a great to chat to him. He's got an amazing story and very inspiring to uh, everyone out there. But today is a new episode, episode 18. We've got a bit of stuff to cover, uh, a couple of suggestions got sent through from uh, people on my Instagram for things to cover. So we're going to look at some of those today. So without further ado, let's get straight into the first episode of Aussie Talks for 2023. He can finish it. Now, this segment was uh, inspired uh, by my Instagram. I put up a couple of days ago that I'll be recording a podcast and uh, to send me through some topics. And one was the uh, to discuss who is the goat of soccer. And in response to that, I put a, a poll up on my Instagram um, just sort of listing who I reckon are the greatest four ever and wanting to see how you guys voted um, to see who was the best, uh, best of the best there. So... Messi got 69% of the vote, Ronaldo got 14% of the vote, Pele got 17% of the vote, and Maradona uh, got zero, unfortunately. So sorry, Maradona, uh, you didn't get any. But I just want to discuss those results and sort of look at some some statistics and give you my thoughts. Now, obviously, and I haven't done a podcast uh, since the World Cup uh, started or finished, unfortunately, Uh Messi won the World Cup, and he had an incredible World Cup campaign. Uh, the only the only player that you could argue was better during the World Cup was Mbappe, um, who's someone at the end of their career will be having this exact same discussion about, um, especially if he does leave the Farmers League known as uh, League One, especially with PSG being literally just leaps and bounds better than everyone else in that uh, in that league. But. Messi, and as shown with getting uh, 69% of the vote on my Instagram poll, clearly is now got to be regarded as above Ronaldo. And I know that's triggered quite a few people out there. You've got to look at the stats. You know, you've got to look at, okay, what's the resume? The World Cup is the pinnacle of football. Forget your League Cups. Forget your, your uh, you know, the Premier League. Forget the La Liga. Forget the El Clasico games, which means so much. Forget the Champions League. Forget the Super Cups. Forget the Club World Cups. The most important thing is the World Cup. You are defined by your World Cup. A great example uh, that got said to me the other day is Zinedine Zidane. You know, incredible player. Uh, managed Real Madrid. I think he won four Champions Leagues uh, with Real Madrid. But if you think of him... The first thing that comes to your mind is that headbutt he did in the 2006 World Cup final that, you know, caused him to be a red card and uh, basically caused him to, you know, not be a part of the penalty shootout and probably cost France the match. That is what he is defined with. He is defined by that. When he goes, you know, when you Google him, that's what comes up. That's his moment, and it's not a good one. Messi's moment now is a World Cup. He's won the World Cup. You Google Ronaldo, his is the bicycle kick versus Juventus. It's the, you know, being off the pitch in the Euro 2016 final. Um, 
And look, it is a very harsh because he, you know, didn't play probably as much as he would have liked. And yes, he's fallen off a bit, um, which does happen with age. And you know, you could argue he didn't have as good a team around him as as Messi had. And but unfortunately, at the end of the day, you were judged by that World Cup win. And Ronaldo is not going to ever have that World Cup win. Messi, if you're looking at the stats right now, according to FIFA statistics, in just over a thousand appearances, he has 794 goals. Ronaldo, in 1,145 appearances uh, throughout his career, has 819 goals. So do of that what you will. Messi is ahead, uh, judging by the appearances uh, in that. And look, if we compare now that to Pele. Now, this is disputed because, you know, records and that weren't as great in the 70s. But according to FIFA's official statistics, Pele has scored 1,281 total goals in his career. And a lot of articles came out when he unfortunately passed away a couple of weeks ago that this total could be even greater. And there's also articles that came out that this could be an exaggeration and it's not nowhere near accurate. When it comes to Pele in international football, 92 appearances with uh, Brazil, 77 goals. Three World Cup wins, the only man to ever do it. If we compare this to Messi in World Cups, he scored five goals. Ronaldo in World Cups has scored seven goals. We look at this and go, okay, what do we judge it by? Do we judge it by their own individual performances at these World Cups or do we judge it by the fact who ended up with the trophy at the end of the day? Messi had, and you know, all Socceroos fans, all Australians know it. He scored that goal against us. Uh, pretty early on in that game and you know we never really sort of got a momentum going the guy at ease with the ball at his feet is the most technical I've seen and I got to watch him in person uh, about I think in 2017 uh, against Brazil in a friendly and just the aura he brought when he was around the ball is something that I can't quite describe Um, and he is the best I have seen but I think you've got to compare the statistics and the statistics say that Pelé despite playing in a different era, despite not coming to Europe, despite being loyal and staying in the Brazilian league in Sao Paulo, I think you have to keep Pelé just above Messi as it stands now. Pelé, three World Cups in an era where soccer was much different. It's much more physical than the crying babies that the crying babies that roll around on the ground now. Can you imagine that happened in the 70s and 80s? Sure, it happened. European countries have been doing it for years and years. But it was a bit harder, okay? Pelé, to score as many goals as he has internationally, to win three World Cups, I'm sorry, he stays above. So I'm going against the popularity of my Instagram poll as it stands. 70% of the vote Messi got for my Instagram poll. I say Messi's the best I've ever seen. Ronaldo, sorry, mate. But you're gone. Pelé, though, is still as it stands, and it could change. It could change. But Pelé is the best ever. So that is my thoughts. The statistics, well, they they point to Pelé still. Different era, different competition. I know it's tough. It's like, you know, comparing... LeBron and Michael Jordan, they played in different eras like comparing Tom Brady and Joe Montana played in different eras. It's very, very difficult. But Pelé for me is still number one. Oh, Zapish and it gets through. And David 
So now I just want to talk about sort of the Australian test summer. Um, it was, uh, you know, a, a very good test summer for Australian cricket fans and uh Dominance is really a good word uh, to use, with the exception of, of you know the SCG test with it ending in a draw. Um, but you know, we look at the West Indian series. You know, I don't think anyone really expected West Indians to really do too much there. I was watching the Alan Border documentary on KO um, the other day and looking at that West Indian team in the 80s and the early 90s and how good they really were. Um, and it's a shame to see how West Indian cricket nowadays is so far from that. Um, besides, you know, Chanderpaul. Um, Brathwaite. Other than that, no one really did much. You know, the spinners got whacked, the bowlers got whacked. Um, there wasn't ever a point where, you know, the West Indians actually were in the game um, at all. You know, I think Brathwaite, you know, made 100 in Perth. That was good. And Chanderpaul looked really good for, you know, he's you know he's still very young and he looks like someone who solidified his spot in the test side there. Um, but it was just they were never in the game and I think we all sort of expected that um, you know Scotty Boland in the moment in, I think it was in Adelaide and he took three for in, an over in his first over um, sort of shows how good he actually is um, and yeah look, you had a Marnus double hundred a Smith double hundred a, a Smith 90 uh, sorry a, a head 99 and a, a head 175 got running up burnt by Cameron Green um, you know you had the bats performing you had the bowlers performing um, and it was just a series that you know not going to be remembered too much uh, and it was a bit sort of just completely one-sided but everyone sort of viewed it as a warm-up series for the South African series which at the time South Africa were ranked second in the world um, coming into that series so we thought oh you know this could be a really good challenge to see you know how how good are we you know we bought we won the Ashes um, 4-0 but that England team sucked the coach you know you know, coach, the system didn't work for them, you know, and look at them now, Joe Root isn't captain anymore, Ben Stokes, McCullum, they've got a new um, system and it's going really well. So, you know, the question really is, is, okay, yes, we, you know, beat England, who at the time were rubbish. We beat Pakistan in Pakistan. Yes, that's a good win. You know, had a 1-1 test series against Sri Lanka. Um, But, you know, it was meant to be, you know, our big test, you know, coming against a bowling attack. Rabada took the most wickets of anyone in 2022. You know, their bowling attack got really hyped up, and I always thought it was going to be the batting that was the issue. And, yes, the batting was the issue. They only got over 200, I think, once or twice um, for, for the whole series. But... The bowling wasn't even that much chop either. Um, you know, we look at the Gabba test. That was a, a just a terrible, just you know, a disgraceful pitch, really, um, for Australian conditions. We don't serve up pitches like that, especially at the Gabba, um, for a game to be over in two days for South Africa to, um, you know, to, to make a hundred to get bowled out for hundred and forty, um, then us to get out for two hundred and fifty or something like that. I think it might have been a little bit less. Travis Head made, you know. A, an actual score of about 80 odd 90 odd something like that and um it's probably worth about 150 on that deck um but you and then you know we bowl them out for you know 140 again 150 and we have to chase down 30 runs and do it four down um so it's and, and it'd be over in two days it was a disgraceful um pitch and you know was given a poor rating by the ICC and let's hope that never happens again on Australian conditions. Uh, then we move over to the MCG, you know, South Africa, you know, all out by 4 o'clock, 4.30 on, uh, on Boxing Day, you know, after, you know, a really 
poor performance. But yeah, there's no other way to put it. Dean Elgar ran himself out. He actually looked pretty good. I remember oh, I was there. I was watching and he looked good. Um, no one else looks set. Uh, I think it was Pavuma and Jansen, I think, if my memory serves me right, who dug in and got a 100-run partnership. And, you know, obviously, as an Australian, you want to rip to a side. But it was good to see two guys at least dig in a little bit and try and put a bit of fight because um, they could have easily been all out for 80-odd that that uh, that day and all of a sudden Australia's batting at 2 o'clock. Um, but, look, they put in a bit of fight and that was probably, you know, with the exception of maybe the Sydney test, that was the only other time they really you know, dug in a little bit and put a bit of fight, um, which was good to see just as a fan of Test cricket. Um, then it got to Australia's batting, David Warner as uh, with a 200 in hot, hot, hot conditions. I was there day two. It was absolutely boiling. Um, and as I think the grade cricketer said it really well, and I bumped into him at the premiere of the Test documentary the other day, um, and I'll touch on that in a minute, but uh, it was David Warner that, Double hundred was the biggest fu ton um, in Test cricket, at least in recent memory. You know, the media, you know, it said, you know, he's got to retire. He's got to retire. He's got to be close to the end. He's not making runs. He's averaging, you know, thirteen, and you know, all this, and and he came out and scored a double hundred in thirty-eight degree heat, and it was in the shade. So definitely, if it's thirty-eight in the shade, it's probably forty-two out in the middle. Um, and to get carried off, it was a hell of a moment, uh, and and an incredible knock you know and I think Smith should have turned up that day as well he, he got out for 78 if my memory serves me right he, he should have made 100 that day uh, Carey made 100 um, in that in that game which was his sort of moment to sort of ride and say yes like as a gloveman he, he's really good but in the bat he can really help as well um, and you know come in at 7 and you know make that 100 uh, that he was looking for which was that was great great to see um, and then yeah we basically just slowly ticked away and was able to roll through them uh, again and yeah they just you know we did it easy and Scotty Bowl and you know a couple of wickets again Cummins you know line all this sort of stuff and there was a couple of injuries Cam Green got injured Stark got injured and yeah, you're sort of going in the SCG with the turning wicket, and you're like, okay, what do we do? So, Australian selectors, in you know, it's been obviously seen now as an incorrect move, um, and I didn't exactly agree with it at the time um, to bring Agar in to drop Boland um, and to bat Renshaw at six, and you know, it was a weird game, like the fact that you know, Usman Khawaja 195 in the first innings, um, and you know, rain affected, you know, Renshaw had COVID, he only came in and faced what like. 10 balls or something like that um, and the thinking was oh you bat Agar at 8 you get an all round you get another you know person in there sort of replaces Cam Green um, but for me it didn't make a lot of sense just from the fact that we have you know Travis Head Marnus and even Smith who are part time spinners and Head on the subcontinent who took 4 for against Sri Lanka and Labashane who bowls at Sheffield Shield level um, who can you know give line a chop out when needed or if you want to go the two spinners you can go that way Um you know, Agar, you know, he didn't bowl many overs, but, you know, his bowling wasn't quite up to the level that was required um, at test level there. And, you know, they say it was a bit of an audition for India and um, it'll be interesting to see how they judge that in the, the first test with the squad coming out. I know Todd Murphy was in it, Swepson was in it, um, and Agar, I think, and Lyon are the four spinners that they've picked. It'll be interesting to see whether they gave Agar that other opportunity, um, which after a, you know, performance that wasn't quite up to the standard um, that you're looking for at Test Cricket. Um, and, yeah, that was 
that was a bit of a shame. And I think a lot of people wondered, oh, look, we had Scott Boland still on the side and, you know, bowled the part-time spinners on. To work it, that was turning. You know, line, line could have easily boldest to victory that day had a couple of catches that you know on other days probably get given out you know but after what happened in the first innings with Marnus um with the ball hitting the you know that was a that was a catch I'm sorry it is um with that giving not out I think they sort of set a precedent for the rest of the game which was a bit of a bit of a I don't know it was disappointing because I'd say every one of those was a catch with the exception of maybe one from Steve Smith um, and then a couple of LBs that Nathan Lyon had that any other day could easily have gone um, gone his way. So, look, it was a interesting test, you know, rain affected, but, you know, for South Africa to at least get some result out of this series, you know, they've got to at least be happy with that. And they, you know, did dig in on day five and it took Australia a long time, took those three wickets um, to get into that second innings. But... All in all, a disappointing test summer in terms of the standard of cricket from the opposition, but in terms of an Australian enjoyment perspective, uh, it was a very good test summer from that. And I think it shows that there's two tiers now with Australian test, uh, so with uh, test cricketing nations, sorry. You've got Australia, India, and England uh, in one category, and then you've got your South Africa's, your New Zealand's, your Pakistan, um, you know, your Sri Lanka, those sort of guys, uh, sorry, those sort of nations in another echelon uh, of teams. But it's going to be a really interesting eight months here for the Australian cricket team. You've, you know, you've got a tour in India starting up next month. Um, you know, you're under man for the first game. Um, you know, India don't have Boomer, at least for the first couple of tests, you know, pants out with his terrible car accident um, that happened. So you've got an Indian team, which is a little under man, but that happened last time they were here. Washington Sundar kicked our ass um, at the Gabba and uh, there's another one in there as well that I can't remember so it's going to be really interesting I think we'll lose that series if I had you know if I was a betting man I'd say we'd lose 2-1 and then we've got the Ashes and then the World Test Championship which uh, you know is going to be a really great test to see how good this Australian cricket team actually is because the media, former players the Australian public including myself is waiting for this team to slip up because um as seen in the test documentary as well. A lot of people weren't happy with Justin Langer's uh, sacking. It was a sacking. He didn't resign. It was sacking because they offered him a six-month contract, which was a slap in the face. Uh, that happened, geez, if you can think of it, just just under a year ago. Um, people aren't happy with that. People aren't happy, you know, potentially with the persona around the Australian cricket team. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting eight months to see how good Australia go in the subcontinent, in India, in England, and with the World Test Championship. Um, assuming we make it, all we need is one more test win, but who knows what can happen. Um, but, yeah, that's sort of my review on the Australian Test Summer. It's been, you know, uh, very enjoyable for personal success of Australian cricket players. Um, you know, your Kawajas, your David Warner's performance from the bowling perspective, you know, to have Cam Green take five for it at the G. You know, there's a lot of great moments, but in terms of the standard test cricket it was a bit disappointing um, that we didn't have a better series but I think we'll see some much better series this year um, with India and England so it's going to be interesting and uh, we shall see what happens alright it is now time for the return of Jordan's big call now my big call for today has to do with the NFL now For those of you who are long-term listeners of this podcast, you would remember 
you know, it probably was just over, or sorry, just under a year ago. I uh, did a 60-second rant, I think, if my memory serves me right, uh, about the San Francisco 49ers, the team I support after we absolutely blew it against the Rams in the NFC Championship game. And uh, I'll just cue a little bit of audio there for those who haven't listened to that podcast to show the real anger and just menacing behavior I had behind uh, that performance from the 49ers. You don't even need to know anything about the NFL. Go on YouTube and search up 49ers dropped interception. You, yes, I'm talking to you, the viewer right now. You could have caught that interception with prescription glasses that don't work and two hands tied behind the back. Yes, you would have caught it with no hands. That's how rubbish, and there's the time expired, that's how rubbish the 49ers were and a massive choke, and this is why I'm doing this segment, because I spent the last hour and a half ranting, swearing, putting choice words. So we should be in the Super Bowl, and these Rams... Ah! So there you go. That uh, sort of shows how uh, pissed off I was that we lost uh, in the NFC Championship game last year uh, to the Rams. And as you can tell, uh, the mic uh, that I've got now is slightly better than the one I had back then. But the big call I am making today is that the 49ers will win the Super Bowl and I really hope I have not just jinxed my team here but the fact is if you look on paper we've got the best team in the NFL right now we've got a quarterback who's made six starts in the NFL and right now statistically he's the best quarterback in the NFL and I'm not making this up go look look at the statistics Brock Purdy is the GOAT you've got Christian McCaffrey in the backfield who's unstoppable you've got Elijah Mitchell who's a really good second option you've got Kittle you've got Debo Samuel you've got Ayuk you've got Jennings as like your third option wide receiver that's how deep we are Uh, you got use check the best fullback in the nfl you got a really good offensive line you've got a defensive line which is the best in the nfl a secondary which has gotten you know a little bit exposed the last couple of weeks but on paper we're the best run defense in the nfl we're one of the best offenses in the nfl and one of the best defenses in the nfl so there is no reason why we shouldn't at least make it but we will be winning the super bowl and that is my big call and if i've jinxed it you're going to hear a very passionate 60 second rant from me in the future but that is my call 49ers finally for the first time since 1994 we'll win the super bowl now i just want to end this podcast with a really quick segment about someone who now i will say this in the past he's done good things he served the military he's done great work for charity but his recent actions over the past probably i'd say three years along with his wife uh have ripped apart the royal family and uh have been nothing short of disgraceful i i'm being very honest about this and uh recently prince harry oh sorry he's not prince sorry my bad harry has a you know he's no more royal than than you and me uh came out with a book and you know people do things in their life you know that you don't write about you know you do a book you be honest you know you try and make yourself stay relevant uh in this situation uh before megan you know goes and becomes a politician but you don't put this in your book and i will say this for your discretion is if there is any young uh listeners to this podcast maybe maybe tune this little part off because well there isn't any swearing or anything like that but it's just one of those things you don't include in a book because it is arguably the weirdest thing uh, i've ever heard and to hear him speak it as well is uh disturbing so here's that audio that uh, i'm referring to my penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatized the last place I wanted to be was Frost Nippistan. I'd been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. I found a tube, and the minute I opened it, 
The smell transported me through time. I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. Then I took a smidge and applied it down there. So yeah, I just don't really have any words for that. Uh, that is in Prince Harry's... Sorry, I, I shouldn't keep calling him Prince Harry because he's not. That is in Hazard's book. Uh, the most fiction book uh, ever written to be considered an autobiography. So uh, don't pick this book up in all good book- bookstores. There's plenty of other stuff that you can read, which is a hell of a lot better, uh, that doesn't involve this absolute tripe and just what is this? So... Sorry for uh, sharing that with you, but I thought uh, to save you all some money from getting uh, built into this media hype, oh, Harry's got a book, let's buy it. This is what you're reading, so I'd avoid it at, uh, at all costs. All right, that is the end of episode 18 of Aussie Talks, the first one of 2023. And hopefully, as I'm recording this uh, at 7.45pm on the 16th of January, it is also a year anniversary of when my first episode came out. So 17 episodes uh, in the year, I suppose. Um, And it has been really fun for me, and I hope you have enjoyed uh, listening to those along the way as we go into 2023. Uh, hopefully going to have a lot more guests onto it. Um, so it's not just me. You can learn about the stories of, you know, some sporting stars and also I'll potentially have some of my mates on just to provide a bit of uh, discussion as well. But I hope you have enjoyed this episode. We talked about the Australian cricketing uh, situation. There's a bit of a review. We talked about um, who I believe the GOAT is in uh, soccer. And, you know, thank you for those who um, engage with my Instagram to give me some ideas on uh, some topics to talk about as well as voting in that poll. Uh, it's always good to get some engagement from the listeners on that. Uh, and then also just to talk uh, briefly about uh, good old Hazard's book. And, uh, yeah, I don't think any more words need to be said about that. Um, so, yeah, thank you once again for listening and uh, take care. And I'll see you in episode 19. Cheers. 